Good evening, everyone. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 2 Peter 3, verse 18 tells us we can all grow in our knowledge of God. So a God who's the same, but a God that we can know more. And so although God does not change, our perception of him is changeable. Yep. Yep. He does not change, but our perception of him is changeable. If you grow in your knowledge of him, he isn't changing, but your perception of him is changing. You see, we are in the King's Church family of communities, we describe ourselves, don't we, as those who want to make Jesus famous, how by being loved lovers, loving others. Our identity is we're loved, we worship as we're lovers, and our mission is that we're loving others. And today, I want to focus on that second bit, that we are lovers of God, worshippers of God. We're lovers of God. And I, I want to challenge us all and get us to consider this evening our worship and to think about our worship. Do you understand we are lovers of God? Yep. Lovers of God. And so because of that, one of the descriptions that we have in trying to unpack this loved lovers, loving others, we value, we really value times of worship and times of encounter. We're lovers of God and we value times of worship, times of encounter, because we're lovers of God. <laughs> so what do we think about when we think about God? I say to you, God, what do you think about? What's the first thing that comes into your mind when I say to you, you know, what do you think about God? It's a difficult question. It's easier to talk about Kofo than it is to talk about God. Kofo is one of the, our fellow leaders here in King's Church and I love my brother Kofo and I have fairly, fairly high thoughts about him. Uh, yet I discovered the other Sunday, he's one of the leaders in Central, I discovered the other Sunday that Zeta, who is 94 and the senior member of all the members of King's Church across the six different sites, I discovered the other Sunday that Zeta has even higher thoughts about Kofo than I have. How did I work that out? Let me explain. Um, Sunday morning meeting was going on a, a few weeks ago and then somebody came and passed a note oh there's a car about just at the end of the worship time before the notices there's a car about to be the police are coming to um, you know to, they've clamped it and now they're going to tow it away it's a car parked on a W line well someone made the notice if that's your car gave out the registration number if that's your car go and get your car quickly hurry up your car's about to be taken away by the police because you're parked illegally well, we suddenly noticed a bit of a kerfuffle and sat on the second row about where Rachel sat now was Zeta, 94 years old, and she's not doing anything in a hurry, but she's looking for a car key. Someone's asked, what, what are you doing, Zeta? She says, that's my car. Anyway, by the time 
she sort of got a purse out, got a scarf out, and by the time she found her keys, it was too late. The car had been towed away. Cut a long story short, she has a disabled badge, but it had run out and the authorities had been really slow at renewing it and she'd still put it up there out of date. No mercy, they took, they towed the car away. Um, anyway, Sumba, one of the other leaders, says, don't worry, I'll be able to give Zeta a lift home. And Kofo, our dearly beloved pastoral ministry in the church, this wonderful man said, I'll... Tell Zeta, Dave, I'll sort it all out tomorrow, not to worry. Sumbo's going to give her a lift home. I'll sort it all out. We'll get a car back tomorrow. Well, I went to Zeta at the end of the meeting thinking, Zeta's bound to be really worried. I knew how I'd feel if the police had taken my car away. And, uh, and I went to Zeta at the end of the meeting. I said, Zeta, I said, just don't worry. Sumbo's going to give you a lift back. And, and please don't worry. Kofo is going to sort it all out. He's going to get your car back for you tomorrow. To which Zeta looked at me with the utmost disdain in her eyes and said, I'm not worried at all. I know he'll do it. In my mind, I thought, Zeta, if I were in your shoes, I would not be saying that. I would be saying, well, I'll text him. Will you remind him? I'll phone him. I'll, 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 can you go and remind him as well tomorrow? I'll be doing everything I could to remind him. But Zeta had a quiet confidence that what Kofo said he would do, he would do. Uh, and there was just this quiet car. And you know what? Kofo did it. He actually did it. The next day he went in, sorted it all out, paid the fine and everything, whatever, and they showed no mercy. But Kofo was just there and, and, and just sorted it all out. And Zeta got a car back the next day. Um, there's a lesson, by the way, first of all. If you want to live to be 94, just don't worry about things. <laughs> Trust people you really know <laughs> to get you out of a hole. Have some good friends, no matter, you know, Zita's a widow. She's not in, she's in, her, not in any relationship at all, in, in any marital relationship, but she's just got good friends. And she trusts them and she trusts community and has an intimacy that she has with the church community. And she just trusts us all. And, and, and Zeta's living at 94. No worries. <laughs> There's a lesson there. Um, but, you know, I really don't want to talk about Kofo all evening. <laughs> I'll be seeing him tomorrow morning. But I, I, I do want to talk about God. And for Zeta... The first thing that came into her mind when I said Koffer will sort it out was quiet, calm and confidence. He will sort it out. I want to ask you, what is the first thing that comes into your mind when you think about God? A man called um, A.W. Tozer once said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then he added this. Worship, worship, being a lover of God, worship is as pure or base as the worshipper entertains high or low thoughts about God. This is my challenge to you this evening. Are you lovers of God? Are you worshippers? What sort of thoughts do you entertain, to use Tozer's words, what sort of thoughts do you entertain about God? Are they high thoughts about God or low thoughts about God? You see, um, Whatever you think right now about God, I want to challenge you. And you might, like Bucky, have just finished USMM or done USMM years back or have studied theology or whatever. But I want to challenge you and say to you tonight, is there more? This is my question. 
for every one of us here, is there more that we haven't yet discovered about God that will cause us to trust him, obey him, and worship him, and love him more deeply than we do now? Is there something more for us to discover about him? You see, God is love, the Bible says to us. But what does that mean to you? What do you think about God? When you read your Bible, what do you think about God? When you were singing those songs earlier on that that Bucky and the others were, were leading us in, what were you thinking about? And if you were thinking about God, what were you thinking about him? If in your daily life as a disciple, as a, someone who is following Jesus, if in your daily life you slip up and you fail and you make a mistake, what do you think about God at the time that you make a mistake and you slip up and you fail? If in your daily living, in your daily discipleship, daily following of Jesus, you have a really good day, what do you think about God on a really good day? If in your prayer life you you pray and you fast maybe and you ask God to do something and it doesn't happen, what do you think about God at that time? What do you think about God if He does what you've asked Him to do and you've prayed and, and you see an answer to that prayer? What do you think about God? You see, for all of us, and there's no one who can put their hand up and say, I'm, I've got this all sorted. For all of us, we can easily form our own perception of God and have our own little caricature of God. And, and, and for some, perhaps not in this room, but for some, you know, God is quite literally in their thinking the big and bearded elderly white guy, because he's normally white, sitting on a throne up there and ready to throw bolts of lightning at you or terrible diseases at you if you don't do exactly what he wants you to do. And they think God is like that. Or at the other end of the spectrum, for some, uh, God is Oh, he's my pal. He's my mate. I've got this intimate relationship with him. He's my buddy. He's someone I can have a laugh with. He's someone I can have a giggle with anytime I want. I don't know where you are between maybe, you know, those are two extreme caricatures. But what I want to say is anywhere in between those two poles, you can easily form a caricature. A, a, a perception of God that never changes, that never budges, and so you never grow in your knowledge of Him. And you live your life according, maybe for some of us, according to a Sunday school class image that we have of God. Maybe for some of us, it's a USMM image of God. Maybe for some of us, it's a couple of Sunday preachers and we just think, this is what God is like. Uh. See, I want to say, have you really worked out what God is like? And if you answer that you have, I want to say to you, have you really worked out what God is like? Or how many of us would put our hands up and say, I don't yet fully understand God? Personally, the older I get, the more I realise 
I find myself saying, I don't yet fully understand you, God. The more I find myself saying, uh, while I do know what I do know, I certainly don't know what I don't know. You see, God is infinite. I am finite. You are finite. None of us can turn around and say, we've got this all sorted. It's a dangerous ground you go on if you start trying to, to, to make your perception of God something that's in a box and containable. God is totally uncontainable. God is extreme. God is wild. God is not tame. He's great. He's wonderful. And he's more than you think he is. God is good, but he's better than you think he is. God is love, but he's more love than you think he is. God is holy, but he's a lot holier than you think he is. God hates sin and he hates it far more than you think he does. God loves righteousness and he loves it far more than you think he does. He's beyond our thinking. You see, the Bible is not a complete, but it's, it helps to give us some understanding about who God is. But it's dangerous ground if we start reading our Bible and we start finding passages that are difficult for, whoa, I didn't think God was like this. And we start to cut out those passages and say, well, this, I'll skip that bit. That's nothing to do with what God's like. And, 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 and I've got to cut out these bits because they don't fit in with my caricature, my cartoon image of what God is like. You need to read your Bible and read it fully to begin to understand what God is like so that, so that you can worship Him at a deeper level. So that you can, you can see something of what He's like. I didn't think God was like, but He is. And you begin to get a revelation, an uncovering of what God is like as we read Scripture. Um, you see, it's great. It's absolutely wonderful when, please don't misunderstand me, it's wonderful when someone comes and gets the microphone in a gathered church meeting and brings a prophetic word and God is speaking through that and God can and does speak through that. It's great when we sing our worship songs and, and, uh, and beautiful lyrics that express our hearts towards God. That's great and, and, and that's wonderful. It's beautiful. Um, however, those prophetic words and those worship songs are a supplement uh, and, and, and can never be a substitute for the written Word of God. The written Word of God is authoritative. The written Word of God reveals it's our plumb line for showing us what God is like. Worship songs, prophetic words, someone sharing with you a feeling that they have, that's wonderful and it's great, but that, the plumb line is the written Word of God. And that's why we must be people, people who are following Jesus, love to read his written word day by day. We, feelings are important. Emotions are important. Of course they are. But knowing what God says in his written word is vital for us to be lovers of God. You see, God is not looking for flatterers. He's looking for those who will worship him. He's looking for worshippers. He's not looking, by the way, for worship even. He's looking for worshippers, for people who will lay down their lives in worship before him and say, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go, whatever you want me to do. I'm giving my life. I'm laying my life down before you. Uh, you see, we live in a world uh, 
where we think we have friends because we've got 2,000 on Facebook or whatever. Uh, you know, you, you, you won't know any of those 2,000 friends or how many you've got until you really get to develop a close relationship with them and you experience that with them. Even then, you'll only know them in part. And it's easy to click yes, accept, and to have a friend on Facebook. But my aim every time in preaching is that we understand something more about God and his goodness, and so worship him in reverence and in awe. Uh, and, and God is too big, too wonderful to be seen in one preach, in, in, in one glance. The Bible, if you like, gives us not a quick Facebook selfie of God, but at multiple glances, and they're just glances of God with many different lenses on, with many different shades of light being used, different times, different background stories, different locations, but all the pictures are true. All the pictures are true. Um, so God in the Bible, if you like, has his picture taken usually, nearly always, with his people. And it starts off, you know, just let's just start to think about it. You see God with the slaves in Egypt. God shown to be there, present with his people when they were slaves. Imagine living at that time, 400 years worth of people who lived knowing God as the one who was with them, not setting them free, but the one who was with them while they were in slavery. The one to whom they cried out day and night, God, will you come and deliver us and set us free from this slavery? But it wasn't happening generation after generation. What was their picture? What was their perception of God? Those people, God then has his picture taken with the, the people of God as they come out, not in slavery, but as nomads coming out of Egypt. And, and, and God's shown to be with them as they're wandering around in the wilderness, set free. They've got a bit of history now. They've been set free from Egypt. They're going into a promised land, but they're still not going into it. And God is there saying to Moses, for example, because you did this, you can't go in. God is there with all sorts of judgments and things happening. Whoa, who is this God? Then they become settled peasants living in Canaan. And God is there. They become city dwellers living under a monarchy that God never wanted them to have. But God is still with them as they live with that monarchy. They then become Jews going into exile in Babylon. And God is there with them as they're in exile. When they return, they come under Persian, Greek and eventually Roman colonisation. And God is there with them. All different pictures of God and his people. And from out... Of all this history, <laughs> that the people of God emerge as the New Testament church in all the various cultural and multicultural settings of the non-Jewish Mediterranean world and God is there amongst his people. You know, I've just described a few scenarios. If we travelled back in the TARDIS and picked up one person from each of those situations I described and said to them, what God is like, what's God like for you? each one would probably have a different perception, a different understanding of what God was like. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I, God doesn't actually change. But depending on when you're alive and the situations you are in, you see him in a different light. The picture fills out. The picture grows. The understanding grows. 
I want to suggest to us that each uh, successive generation uh, has the potential to personally know God more than the previous generation. It's just something I've been thinking about and I haven't got a Bible verse for that, but I just think, hang on, let's work this out a bit. Um, we potentially can know God because of historic views of God, because of the way a revelation of God is continued. We can know God more than other people have been able to know him. How about that just as a thought? Think about it. In Hebrews chapter 12, coming back to the Bible, New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer, this book was written, we don't know whether it's a man, a woman, or more than one writer, but it's written to early Jewish converts whose circumstances had certainly changed, but God hadn't. This, if you like, was the crossover generation. They'd grown up for years, parents, grandparents, great-parents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, and so on and so on, had been following a system, uh, a religious system, where they knew that to enter the presence of God, you had to go through a priest, you had the presence of God was located behind the, the curtain, it had been a tabernacle, then it had become a temple. God had never asked them to make a temple, but they'd had a temple, and it was this great, wonderful marble built, you know, with marble floors, wonderful building there in Jerusalem. And there's even remains of it there now, but the great wall and weeping. And you could go in and Hebrew worshippers um, suddenly had those who, they suddenly had this revelation of Jesus coming, dying on a cross. And at the moment he was on the cross, when he cried out, it is finished with a loud cry, but the curtain temple was ripped into from top to bottom. And suddenly the presence of God wasn't through a priest anymore. The presence of God was accessible to anyone. And imagine being one of those Jewish believers. You had all your life loved God and understood God through the marble courts of the temple, through the crowds of Levites in their splendid white robes around the temple, loads of pomp and ceremony and choirs singing psalms. And now you've had a revelation. Imagine being one of those early Hebrews. You've had a revelation of of, 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 the, of being able to see God in a different light. You've been baptised in water. You've found yourself meeting with other believers in some hall, an old bakery, a school. It dawns on you that you've moved away from the grandeur of being part of a great religion. You now find yourself of some relatively small and persecuted sect called the Way. You might be wondering whether this is all right or have you got it wrong? then you receive a letter from someone inspired by the Holy Spirit who has written a letter to you Hebrews in this crossover time. And this is what he writes. Let's look at it, Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll just start reading at verse 18. And he writes this to these people who've crossed over uh, from one covenant to another, a greater revelation of who God is. He says to them this, you've not, not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. What have we got so far? 
You know, this is the light shed on God's nature here in the winter and hard frost of the old covenant given from Mount Sinai. You can read all about it in Deuteronomy 4 and Exodus 19, how Moses went up the mountain eight times to see God. It's all about, the whole theme is about keep your distance. Don't come near the mountain. Keep your distance from God. You don't just come up to him like that. You keep your distance. And the sheer majesty of God, the, the shattering might of God is expressed. There's no love expressed here. It's just the might and majesty of God. Uh, the absolute unapproachability of God. There's no way open to approach him. And anyone who tried to do it met their death. This is about God who is transcendent, who is above us. The sheer terror of God is stressed. People are afraid to look or even afraid to listen. They say, don't, we don't want to even hear what God says. We're afraid, we're terrified of him. We just see here, if you like, the lonely majesty speaking on earth with complete separation from humankind because of sin. Too holy, too holy for us to be near him. Uh, and this passage continues. Uh, and, and, you know, we get into you know, verse 22. Look at it now. And we come, if you like, from the winter and hard frost of the old covenant into the spring sunshine of the new covenant. And God, the same God, is seen in a different light, in a different atmosphere. He says, but you haven't come to that. He says, but you've come to this. You've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is wonderful, wonderful news for first generation New Covenant Jews and for us today because it's the same message to us. Uh, you might not have the pomp and the ceremony and the fancy dress of the Old Covenant Temple, but instead of a mountain that, 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 that can be touched, you've come to something that cannot be touched, that's invisible. You've come to angels in joyful assembly. This is what you've come to tonight. You've come to Mount Zion. You've had to come up two flights of stairs. You think it's not. But you've come to Mount Zion. You've come to the assembly of the firstborn. You've come to angels in joyful assembly. Uh, and to God, who even in the new covenant, listen to this, is still described as the judge of all. So it's not a sentimental, wishy-washy picture of who God is. Uh, and he's still the judge of all, and you've come to Jesus, who's the mediator of the new covenant. The one, Jesus, the mediator, the in-between, the go-between, the one who has made the unapproachable approachable. The one who takes away for us, by the shedding of his blood, who takes away for us the terror of God. And it's because, all because of his blood, which is so much better than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel, remember, cried out for vengeance. The blood of Christ opened up the way for reconciliation. What does this mean for us today? Let's carry on reading. And uh, the writer of the Hebrews applies to it to us uh, at verse 25 he says this see to it then we haven't come to this old mountain that you can touch we've come to something that can't be touched but we can come to God himself and the presence of God so he says this see 
that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they, if they in the old covenant did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, just listen to this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Acceptable worship. How? With reverence and with awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You get this. The glory and the splendor of the new covenant is that God speaks from heaven, not from earth, on the top of a mountain, but he speaks from heaven. Uh, in other words, what are we saying? That when God comes and speaks to us by his Holy Spirit, that, that heaven invades earth. That heaven comes into this room when God, when we gather together, heaven comes down. And yes, we approach God and God approaches us and heaven comes down. And, and, and the logic of all this closeness of God to us all is not that God has changed and that he's some sort of schizophrenic and he's changed from what he was in the old covenant to what he is in the new covenant, but that he speaks from heaven to earth that we need to be grateful and we need to appreciate his closeness to us. And as we appreciate, he's so close to me now that I'm so grateful about that, that I live a holy life. That I worship him, not just with a song on a Sunday evening, but I worship him with reverence and with awe. That I realise this God is a holy God. He is a consuming fire, but I can come into his presence because the blood of Jesus speaks something better than the blood of Abel. And I can come into his presence. Um, You know, as we realise it, you know, what is, we think about God is the most important thing about us. And it leaves, when we begin to look at this passage, it leaves no room for a complacent attitude towards God, who, who, who is this consuming fire. You know, we recently bought, I had a dog for around about a few months now called Milo, and um, I gave into pressure from Philippa and from Ben and Jess and got this dog, and, and we've had him for a few months now. And just, just a... 200 metres from a house. We're very lucky in Prestwich where we live. We've just got this drink water park where we go and you can see pheasants, you can see deer, you can see ducks and geese and everything. It's a beautiful park and it's just just a few hundred metres from our house. We take the dog for a walk and I've begun to appreciate because having a dog, you have to go for a walk. I've begun to appreciate the lake that we walk around every morning. And what I've begun to notice is when we first started the dog, taking the dog for it was that cold snap that we had. There was ice on the lake. There were no leaves on the trees, but things have changed and the lake now, you could get some beautiful pictures. You go early in the morning, just the beauty of the lake and it changes. The lake, the lake doesn't actually change, but the, the atmosphere changes according to the season that you're in. 
and my knowledge of the lake affects my behaviour. If it's tipping it down with raincoat, I will wear certain clothes. If it's nice and warm and sunny like it has been, I'll wear shorts. And what you, you, you respond to the way the atmosphere is in the lake, to the mood, if you like, of the lake. And I want to say something. Circumstances change. God never changes. You can always trust God. I want to say it was great to hear Damien's testimony uh, earlier on and and fantastic what God's done for Damien and Caitlin, isn't it? Wonderful story. Uh, And, you know, I want to say some of you might, I've been told I've got to get my hip replaced and everything and I think, wow, okay. I I don't, I, I just think, I know I trust God. I trust God. Whether it's miraculous healing, whether it's going with a hip replacement, just watch me, I'll come out of this. I'll come out of it <laughs> because I trust God. And, and I, you know, we can all look back at times when we've been under, fi- I know some of you here are under financial pressure. Do you know what? Just, why don't you say, uh, just watch me. <laughs> just watch me. Say to someone, just watch me. Don't, don't listen, just watch. <laughs> I'll come out of this because I trust God. Some of you might be feeling, well, I, I mean, relationships, they aren't what I want them to be, they aren't what I expected them to be. Just watch. Just watch me, I'm going to come out of this because I trust in an unchanging God who I know that I know that I know He's good and He's going to bring me out of this. I want to say to us and challenge us tonight, you know, how about we trust God? Um, So much changes. I went to France recently and um, the guy who leads the church in the the, the Saint-Tropez, it's not actually Saint-Tropez, it's on the outskirts, but it's Jean-Luc Costa. And Jean-Luc used to be, before he went working for the church, he used to be uh, a top mechanic in a Volkswagen garage in Monte Carlo. And he picked me up from the airport the other day and um, driving me along, I noticed the petrol gauge on his car was actually going lower and lower. And you know, it sort of says 20 kilometers left, 10 kilometers left. We were driving along and it suddenly said zero kilometers. I thought I'd better say something because Philippa knows if it comes to 70 miles left on out, I go into a mad panic. Got a petrol station. Where's the petrol station? It came down to zero. I said, Jean-Luc, you, you noticed, oh, we'll be fine yet. He says, we'll be fine yet. He carries on 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles with it showing that, you know, it'd been shown for ages. I, just clocking it on the distances to where we're going. He said, I know, I, I, I've worked on these cars. I know what it is. Do you understand? He trusted. He knew the car. I didn't. I went into a panic. He knew, Zeta knew Kofo better than me. Uh, he knew his car better. I want to say, why don't we learn to trust in this God who, who is unchanging? You know, he, he never changes. He never changes. Um, you know, we want to be a people who know what it is to know him more and more and more. He, he is the one that never changes. In Isaiah 55 verse 9, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But... We can never fully understand him, but we can grow in our knowledge of him. 2 Peter 3, 18. We can all grow in our knowledge of God. Um, you see, he's, one we can, he's someone we can, we can increasingly know. When I walk with God day by day, I, 
I can grow in my knowledge of him. Yes, it's reading my Bible. Yes, it's coming to meetings. But yes, it's, it's times when I'm just walking along and, and I'm catching his heart. As um, you know, If I take this time to, to sense his presence as I'm going to walk around a lake, I can know him more. I can grow in my knowledge of him. If you're on your own and you're leaving this place why, and you've got a walk to do, why not grow in your knowledge and say, Lord, I'm sensing your presence. Come and I want to know you more. Uh, what about if, you know, just when you're walking along, if I go from here when I'm working here and I go to Tesco Express down the road and I walk past the homeless, can I get something of your heart, God, for the homeless in this situation? When, I, when you're in the office, in the workplace, and there's, there's somebody that no one is talking to there, how about you begin to reach out and, and just begin to express, Lord, I want to know you as I minister something, something of your life flowing through me to someone else. Uh, what about when, when it's a situation, you know, when you're just reading the newspaper and you read the great injustice or great sin that's going on in the world or you see it on your phone on the the news app or whatever it is you have and you begin Lord I want to know what you feel I want to know what you think about this can I put it to you that the more we respond like that the more we become lovers of God because the more we know him the more we grow in our knowledge of him the deeper our worship of him, the deeper our love for him, because you will never fail to love God as you begin to see more of him, because he is such a beautiful person. He is the one our hearts adore. And when you begin to fall in love with him and see more of him, you can't help but grow in your knowledge of him. Can the worship team come out? We're just going to finish with... A song that expresses that, that I understand you've sung the last couple of weeks as well. Just knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. Uh, and while this worship team goes, can we, can we just bow our heads? Lord, we just say tonight, Lord, we, we say, Lord, that you do not change. But Lord, we say we want our perception of you to change in that we want to grow in our knowledge of you. Lord, we we say, Lord, none of us are arrogant enough to imagine or suppose that we know you. You are God alone. Lord, even in that first song that we sang about the other gods, we pray, Lord, that that wrong conceptions, wrong caricatures of you will will, will fade away, Lord, that only you, only you, God, will remain. We pray, come and reveal yourself increasingly to us. We, 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 we say where well, we've been flippant with you. We pray, forgive us, Lord, and help us to understand that you are a holy God, that you're a consuming fire. Where we've lived, Lord, maybe in fear of you, imagining you're somehow going to zap us for doing it. We pray, Lord, cause us to understand more and to grow in your love. We pray, Lord, in all your multifaceted character, Lord, that we might grasp more and more different aspects, different glimpses of you, Lord. Cause us to discipline ourselves, Lord, to just enjoy your word and that when we read your word, it's not just because of discipline, it's out of delight to meet you and to know you. And Lord, we say, cause us to read our Bibles to meet you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for every one of us in this room that we will grow and grow and grow in our knowledge of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just sing it, shall we? Knowing you, Jesus.